Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. Can you do me a favor? Can you raise your hand if you are the firstborn? Raise your hand. Okay. All right. A lot of you. Wow. How about that? Uh, can you raise your hand if you're like t- more type A than type B? Okay. All right. And then this one you might not know, so it's okay if you don't. Can you raise your hand if you're an Enneagram 1 or 3? If you know your Enneagram, some of you, okay. Some of you are like, what is that, Trey? <laughs> it's okay. You got, I got you on the first two. Uh, I'm just going to tell you right now, you all are not going to like this passage. <laughs> if, if you raise your hand, I don't know I don't know what else to tell you. Um, I'm, I'm the youngest born. I'm not a one or a three. I'm type A, so I, I get a little frustration. But uh, this passage is in- incredibly uh, um, confusing. And, and it's confusing because it, it seems to go against um, a lot of how we have experienced and understood faith. And some of you have grown up in the church. And uh, a lot of us have kind of had that relig- like religious, legalistic kind of like uh, disease, I would call it. Um, and this is, this is going to drive you nuts. So um, if you're excited, I don't know if I excited you or not, but uh, we're going to dive in. So yeah, we're in Matthew 12. Um, if you're just joining us, this is your first week. We've been going through Matthew. This is our 36th week, which is just awesome. Uh, I, I, uh, yeah, they're like, wow, we're going to be here a while. Uh, we, uh, I, I actually let it slip to somebody that we're going to be taking some breaks, so we, we're not going to be... We're not going to be doing Matthew forever, but, um, but they're like, really? We're going to take breaks? When? Uh, so I'm like, oh, thanks, guys. My, uh, my, my uh, uncle listens to our podcast, and he, uh, I saw him this weekend, and, and he was like, he's like, you know, Trey, there, there's other books other than the Gospel of Matthew and the Bible. So I figured I'd make fun of myself. It makes you, because you probably want to say that to me, too. So you're welcome, but. We are in uh, this passage where uh, it's, it's culminating in part four. Last week we talked about, I think what I had said, is one of the most beautiful passages in Matthew that I love, that is just dearly held in my heart. Uh, when I follow Jesus hand in hand, that is one of the pictures that I think about and see is, is this invitation for what Jesus claims will be rest for your souls. And a lot of us want rest for our souls. We try to get it through several different means, and a lot of times there's failure. Or we, some of us, you might even know the right answer, but it's easier said than done. And so after Jesus gives us this beautiful depiction of what it means to follow him, to kind of take his yoke, and we talked about how there, that we all have these burdens and that um, the way at which we, we hold these burdens, the way what, where, how we hand them over to things or to Jesus affects how we feel, right? The weight of our lives, the worry we have, the anxiety, all these type of things. And, uh, and so now, what I love about this passage that's directly next is, and it even says in verse 1, it's basically like transitioning to this from what we just talked about last week, is Jesus gives us this nice, light, like beautiful, redemptive little teaching, and then he bumps into like the, the church legalistic people. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, I, I can remember this. There was kids when I was a youth pastor that would come to camp in the summer, and camp's like a heavy follow Jesus kind of moment, you know, and these kids would follow Jesus, and then they'd come back, and they'd meld with all these Christian kids, you know, like the kids who grew up in the church, and these Christian kids are like, you're not doing this right, you're not doing that right, and it just like sucks the air out of the very freedom that they received in, at camp, 
from Jesus. And I think this is just like the same thing. Like, you're like, oh, this is awesome. This feels light. I feel a weight lifted off me. And then here we have some disciples that are basically um, doing the smallest thing. And these Pharisees are like, you're not, you're not doing the right thing. And I think it's so indicative of our lives. Like, even if you're not a Christian, you've probably seen or experienced this heavy hypocrisy, and even Wes kind of alluded to it, in the church, where you have these people who act like they have it all together in certain areas of their lives, but in other areas, they don't. And, and you're like, well, I see that, and I see this, and I don't understand how you can tell someone to do that in this area of your life, but then over here, you're, you have no idea like, what, you're, what you're doing. And uh, I don't have an answer for the, the tension of that, but I know you felt it. I felt it. I felt it being a pastor, and I felt it with other pastors. I felt it in the church that I grew up in. And uh, so this passage, I hope, will give you some freedom in that area. But like I said, if, if you're someone who's very rule-oriented, you believe in fairness, like hard work, and that's what you deserve, this is going to be a hard passage for you to reconcile. And I hope that, though, it will um, cause you to really process and think. So the first question when we, we jump in here, and I think this is a question that a lot of us have, and, and anyone that I experience, our neighbors, some of them that aren't Christians, kind of are asking this type of uh, thread of question, which is, Basically, why does God have commandments for us to follow? Like, why is there rules? Why is there regulations? Why is there these type of things? Why, if God was all loving, why wouldn't he just kind of let us pursue our lives on earth, give us the, the grace to be able to just do that and it not matter about the ramifications of eternity with him? Like, why are these things here? They seem like, a lot of times people would say, they seem oppressive, right? Like, these, these rules that you follow, I mean, I can remember being in college, and, and we had this rule at our, our campus that you weren't allowed to drink if you were an RA or like a student leader, and, and you know, everyone's like, why? That's so dumb. Like, that's so oppressive. Why can't you drink? You know? And, and we have to kind of be like, well, that's what they say. And that was the best answer we had at the time, which to them was not very good, right? It's like whenever your parents are like, why can't I do this? And it's like, because I said so. And you're like, that's a terrible answer. <laughs> because you said so? So, uh, but... I think we all wrestle with that. Like, why, why are there these restrictions? And then a lot of us have trouble where we have the Old Testament, which is the first kind of two-thirds of the Bible, and they have all these rules, but then now it seems like some of them we've thrown out, but some of them we keep. And it seems very hypocritical to just pick and choose which rules we want to follow. Oh, well, we can still eat bacon, but, you know, we shouldn't cheat on our wives. And, and you put, that's, that's a very common argument. I'm like, well, those are a little different, but, um, <laughs> but, but seriously, though, you're like, well, how do you pick? How do you pick which ones, if you're really following God, shouldn't you follow all of them or not follow any of them? Like, it's one or the other, right? Jesus calls us to not be lukewarm, not be in the middle. Pick a side. And I think this passage is going to get at this tension that we feel with these things. And so what I want to just put in your mind, and I'm going to kind of just kind of nudge this whole teaching, is I'm going to read it so I get the the verbiage right. But God's commandments and what we see, Jesus' ethics, his teachings that we've read about the last several weeks, the teachings in the life that we are to follow is not for restriction, but for freedom. It's not for restriction, but for freedom. And, and I know you're thinking, well, laws are clearly to restrict. Like, I've never known of laws that give us freedom. And I, I, would, I would actually beg you to, to read the, uh, the Constitution of America. It is essentially restrictions for freedom. And, and in some ways, like, this is a very philosophical idea of what freedom means, but Jesus is, is here to, to restore the true beauty and root of the laws that, that the people of Israel before him had been following. Um, if we were to still follow all of that law and not have Jesus, it would be a very difficult, hard, um, very legalistic life. And so what does it look like for us to live in this mercy and grace, but also pursue these ideas of God's commandments and his heart behind him? That's what Jesus is going to get out here. 
And so I, as we, as we kind of talk about this, I just I want to I prove my point a little bit as we get into this. And so I would say, like, what, what God wants more than anything with us, and this has been the theme throughout several weeks, is, is relationship. Like, it's just that simple. He wants relationship with you. And in order to receive that, it is not based upon effort. It is not the things that you do that build intimacy. It is basically 100% God loving you for who you are and you being willing to acknowledge that as truth. And uh, the, the restrictions, the commandments are all centered around that relationship being more noticed in your life. And so think about it like this. Like when, when you are trying to build relationship, you have parameters that you set up to actually produce a full level of vulnerability and trust and I would say freedom. Think about it. When you, when you get, if you get married... Um, you typically don't have to say every day, hey, just so you know, I'm heading out, not going to cheat on you. Like, that's not something that you <laughs> typically have to say. It's kind of assumed, right? Like, that is not a good thing to build intimacy with this person. Same with when you, like, you have a best friend, right, and you're like, you love them dearly, and you're like, hey, just want to let you know, I don't want to talk, I'm not going to talk about you behind your back. Like, okay, thanks. Were you going to? Like, <laughs> I didn't know you were going to do that. Like, you just assume, right? Like, that's what you do when you're friends. You don't slander your friend, Right? And you don't want to be slandered. There are parameters, there are boundaries that we have in every area of life, right? We drive a car, legally we should wear a seatbelt, right? And you're like, well, I feel restricted. I'm like, actually, you're free because you won't die in a car accident. And that is way better than not. And, and then we have these rules, and so we've seen rules as feeling restrictive. But what if restriction in terms of what God is doing, what God knows about sin and about earth, is actually a good thing? I'm going I'm to talk about sex here for a second. So... Um, this will be exciting, but uh, God creates sex, something incredibly beautiful, and you know what? In the church should be one of the most, like, just excited, happy things, right? Let's just be excited about it, okay? Let's not act like it's not great, right? Sure. And if you're married, then, then you're in this, right? But here's the thing. Why does God create sex? Sex is an illustration of the intimacy of God with his church, with his people, right? That, like, when you get to, a, when you get to heaven or eternity, like, what that is is basically unadulterated intimacy with God. Now, I don't want to say it's sex, but he's using that as an illustration to understand the weight of his love for you. Now, in sex, if, if we don't follow the, the ethics, the commandments that God has given us around that, we start to lose trust in the other person. We start to disvalue them as, a, as an image bearer of God, right? We start to um, misjudge them and all these type of things. So the parameters which God has created for sex, if followed, are the most free intimacy that you can experience with your spouse. And it's, I mean, statistics would prove that. Even, even think about this, like if you go back to the beginning of the Bible in the garden where uh, Adam and Eve are, um, have this garden to tend for, right? They're, they're, they start off gardeners and, and um, wow, they were so free. But wait, wasn't there restrictions? In fact, there was really only one <laughs> and they broke it, right? But in the restriction, hey, don't, don't take fruit from that tree, right? Why did God... Why, why, why would there be restrictions? That's not freedom, right? And so our idea of freedom, I think, is skewed. What is freedom? Is freedom is, freedom is always in tandem of what it means for our purpose and our flourishing as humans on earth in the reality that we live in. And freedom oftentimes has restrictions. And, and the restrictions were not centered around being legalistic, being judgmental, being hypocritical. They're centered around relationship with God. And, and whenever Adam and Eve decided to eat of the fruit, they're basically giving the finger to God. Like, I don't want your restrictions. I believe I have the best definition of freedom. And what does their freedom bring them? Death. Long story short, death. Really hard toiling at the soil. 
for women, increased labor pains. Sorry about that. And right, bad stuff, not good. It brings their, their idea of freedom fractures the relationship that they have with God. But guess what? God's full of mercy. And that's what we see in the whole Old Testament if you read it all the way through. The people are just constantly just screwing up and screwing up and screwing up. And so there's been all of this just weight of the Israelites that they've been experiencing, these laws they have to follow, the, the regulations of if they do break a law, what they have to do in order to make things right before them and God, right? All these type of things, sacrifices. And now we get to the point where Jesus is coming on the scene and he is going to prove to us the intent of the law, but also fulfilling the law in such a way that we are able to experience true freedom. And so I want to I ask you this. In the world that we live in today, what is the world's view of this, uh, of this question? What is your view? Who is more oppressed in this situation? A man who cannot give a dime to anything. He won't, he's stingy. He won't give to anything. Or a man who can give away a tenth of his income and, and be generous to other people and buy other people things. Who is more oppressed in that situation? And who is more free? You think about Zacchaeus in the Bible. He was oppressed by money and lying and cheating. And then when he finds freedom, what does he do? He gives back all of it and four times as much. What, who's, more, who's more oppressed here? The guy who deletes his Instagram because he catches himself lusting and viewing porn on it or the guy who watches porn whenever he wants? Who's more free? Who's more oppressed? What about the girl who has thousands of Instagram followers and each post is beautiful and manicured or the girl who has photos of her with sweatpants on and doesn't really care, just lives life? Who's more free and who's more oppressed? Now, the world would tell you, the perfectly manicured girl, the guy who can watch porn whenever he wants and no one judges him, or the guy who's, who's wealthy, who holds all of his money and, and accumulates something for himself, those people are free. I would argue the exact opposite in the way of Jesus. There's nothing more oppressive than greed. There's nothing more oppressive and, and tarnishing the image of God than lust. There's nothing more overwhelming and anxiety-producing than worrying about your self-image in front of others. Nothing more exhausting. So this history lesson can help us understand that Jesus is going to really shake things up in the way that we understand freedom and oppression. Verse 1, if you've got your Bibles, you can open them up, or your phones. We have Bibles in the back, too, if you'd like to steal one. It says, at this time, in verse 1, chapter 12, at this time, Jesus went through the grain fields on a Sabbath. His disciples were hungry. They began to pick heads of wheat and eat them. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is against the law to do on the Sabbath. Now, this is, like I said, like nice weight, invitation to Jesus' kingdom. Follow me. The, the yoke is like, okay, Jesus, they put on the yoke, and then they start eating grain. They're like, hey, you can't do that. And you're like, are you kidding me? I just felt great, and now I feel oppressed. What's going on? And, and what the Pharisees are doing here, and you have to kind of know a little bit of the Old Testament law. Uh, I'm going to read you two laws that were in the Old Testament that the Pharisees were following. The first one, Deuteronomy 23:25, it just says this. When you go into ripe grain fields of your neighbor, you may pluck off the kernels with your hand, but you must not use a sickle on your neighbor's ripe grain. This is essentially like if you, like someone had a garden and they had a bunch of cherry tomatoes, it'd be like, hey, you can have one, but like don't take all of them, right? Because a sickle would, would, would cut massive amounts of grain. But hey, a little bit here and there, no big deal. Another one, Leviticus 23, 22 says, when you gather... In the harvest of your land, you must not completely harvest the corner of your field. You must not gather up the gleanings of your harvest. You must leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. Basically saying, hey, it's super important. Do that. So these are the laws that they have, right? The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they knew all this and had it memorized and inundated. They have these laws in mind. And then not, but, but what's crazy is 
what they were doing would be technically legal all throughout the week, right? Like there was this, this sense of caring for the poor as a farmer by like leaving things for them. But what they're doing is they're doing it on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is this day off. It's a ceasing of work to honor God with our time, right? And there was all these rules and regulations. They had 39 specific regulations in the Old Testament of what they could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. Now, the problem is, is what of the 39, uh, they're trying to take that and then stem that into all these different things. Like, for instance, what does it mean to work? Is working working your 9 to 5? Is working doing the laundry? Is working running an errand? What is working? We don't even know. People ask me, Trey, can I do the dishes? Can I go run to Lowe's? Can I work on a house project? Can I mow my lawn? Right? And I'm like, I have no idea. Do you like mowing your lawn? I don't know. Like, is that relaxing for you? I don't know. Some guys are like, I love nothing more than mowing my lawn. And I'm like, you should come to my house. What, what, what is it, right? So the Pharisees are taking the, this beautiful principle that God gives us for these things, right? This is for freedom, right? Not oppression. And then what do they do? They just, they just strangle the heck out of it, right? Just uh, all these other things. So these guys are, are, these disciples are picking the heads off wheat. And so uh, the weight of these Pharisees has been so great. In fact, it's funny. Like God would say at some point, hey, Christians, if you follow me or whatever, you fast. That's what you do. It's a DNA of people who follow me. Now, he doesn't say you got to do it all the time or you got to do it these days. What do the Pharisees do? They take the law and they try to build a safeguard around it. And so they say, oh, we must fast three days a week, you know, if we're truly spiritual. And they, they, do, these, they do this all the time. They add more to it to the, where the weight is just exhaustive. The rules are exhaustive. And so what this, what this passage in this clash is about is really like, what are, what are God's commandments and what are his authority and what is the intent behind these? Because the Pharisees just took them at face value and tried to create out of fear comfort. And so... Uh, Jesus obviously uh, gives them a nice little rebuttal here. But basically what they were mad about, this is so funny, but when they were taking the heads off the grain in order to eat them, you'd have to thresh them. Threshing is like where you'd basically wipe off the chaff or like the, ex- the external part to take the grain of wheat, right? So they were having to like, kind of go like this, right? You wouldn't just pop in pieces of like wheat or whatever it was. And, uh, and so that was working because it was threshing. You know, you're like, this is working. And you're like, isn't like walking more work than that? Like, Right? But they were like, oh, you're working. That's threshing. That doesn't count. Or, I mean, that, that, you're not allowed to do that on the Sabbath. So Jesus says to them in verse 3, he said to them, have you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? How he entered the house of God and they ate the sacred bread, which was against the law for him and his companions to eat, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law that the priests in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are not guilty? When you say, have you not read, to guys who spend their entire life reading the text, that is uh, an inciting, if you will, of, uh, it's like telling a cop who pulls you over the street, oh, haven't you read the new ordinances? Like, I'm allowed to go this fast, right? <laughs> See what he says to that, right? And he's basically doing that, and, and he's, pull, he's pulling two stories. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through each one um, kind of separately. The first one is this story of David, and if you don't know, I'll give you the cliff notes. David is this man after God's heart. He's, he's been running through, his, he, uh, his, his soldiers are exhausted, and he goes into the temple for food, and they were not allowed to eat of the ceremonial bread. The ceremonial bread was in the temple. It had, like, it had a bunch of kind of holy purification around it, and just going and eat it was not okay, right? And so what happens is uh, the priest Ahimelech bends the rules to let him go do that. Now, this is where, the, this is where you know, type A, firstborn, Enneagram 1 is like, wait, what? David got to bend God's rules? And then, and then, well, can't everyone do that? And basically, it doesn't look like it. And so we go farther on. David, uh, Jesus brings this story up. And so 
um, Jesus' disciples are disobeying the Sabbath law. David disobeyed essentially this regulation for ceremonial loaves. And so the point of this is who was doing it and, and why they would allow it. So the priest knows who David is. He knows his, his relationship with God. He knows that he's clearly anointed. He knows the weight of what he's doing. And so he literally lets him do this. And then Jesus quotes this, basically kind of saying it's okay. And like I said, if you're reading that, you're like, that doesn't seem right then. Like, why is he allowed to break laws and I'm not? Or why, like, is everyone allowed? Or is, if, you're so, if you're such a good person, can you do it then? Like, is David more special? And, and, and to be honest, it's sort of what's happening. What's happening is David was permitted to do what was not normally, you know, lawful because of his relationship with God and his intent and what he was doing. In the same way, Jesus will say, he says this, he says something much greater then David is here. He's basically saying, look, like David was able to do that. How much more am I able to? And, and, and the reason why is because think about it like this. If you read a really good book, right, and you like loved it, but you, you thought, man, I really think the book is going this way. It really means this. And then you go to the, the author's like, you know, seminar about their book, and they're like, yeah, here's what, I was, here's what I was doing with the book, and here's where I was going. And you like raise your hand. And you're like, no, that's not right. You know? I think the author would be like, ah, I wrote the book, so and you're like, no, not right, no, that's no, it was going this way, and it'd be like, well, cool interpretation, but no, you know, this is why I wrote this. It's it would kind of be like that, and and Jesus basically, and this is incredibly provocative, and you're gonna realize the tension from this passage at the end of it, but hey, like I, I wrote the book, like I did, I made the laws, and I'm gonna tell you why I made the laws, and I'm gonna show you what the the fruit of these laws should be, over what you're currently doing with them. And he says, some, like, basically, he's saying, like, look, David was a great guy, and we love David, and David was so well-respected. I'm even greater than David. I have more authority than David. And we don't talk about, I've, I've said this before, we don't talk about Jesus' authority very much. But he's king. He's Lord, he's Savior, and he's king. And he's basically saying something much greater is here. Now, before you get really stressed out because you're like, wait, now I, does that mean I can justify and do whatever I want? No. Let's go to verse 5. He says, or have you not read in the law that the priests in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are not guilty? This one's, this one's funny. It seems like an error almost. What he's saying is, by nature, if you were a priest, you would have to do things on the Sabbath. So no one was allowed to work, but priests would have to work on the Sabbath to perform the Sabbath rituals, meaning they would have to slaughter animals, and that was work. They would have to do stuff with the temple that was included as work. So which one is it, right? Are they desecrating God's heart because of what they're doing, Right? No. He says, surely not. Why would God have orchestrated that? And so he's using this to show that in, in those instances, if they can do that, then what, what is much deeper? How are we allowed to do that without breaking the law? And he's saying, look, there's so much deeper heart and intent to it. And so what he says then in verse 6 is he says, I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. First, he's basically saying, hey, I'm greater than David, that really great guy who you love and, and hold dearly. Now I'm greater than the temple. And the temple was not just this like building, right? It was so much more than that. It wasn't just a spiritual um, beacon for the Israelites, which it was, but it was also highly political. I mean, it was their culture and their society was based around the temple. To say that you were better than the temple was a very bold move. I mean, that would be like going into the capital and being like, hey, like I'm more important than what happens here. Like, I write the laws. I'm in charge. Like, people be like, no, you're not. That's not how it works. We're a democracy, you know? There's lots of people that help write laws. It'd be silly. 
You know, and if you're insecure, you'd be really angry about it. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm greater than the temple. The thing that you've been using as a means to worship has become worship to the point where it's basically idolatry. And so I think it's a bit ironic. It's funny, like you think about like, what are we worshiping, right? The, 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 the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they were worshiping the laws over God. Now they had the intent, right, in some ways, but it became so colluded with their own sphere and control that they start worshiping, you know, uh, the, in simple words, the creation over the creator, right? Like you miss the depth of what was created for. And I think about that like how, no different today. How many people, like, do we just feel like we have this nationalistic idolatry where like, we, I love living in America, I love being American, but like, it doesn't take my seat in heaven. Like, I'd rather be in heaven than be American, right? Like, at the end of the day. It's far greater than, than our nationalism. And, and so I think it's funny, he's like talking about now, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's us today even. Like, a lot of Christians have that, that idea. And so he's, he's bringing in, he's starting to poke at this invitation that I gave you, the, the, the humanity's typical bent of strangling the beauty of grace and putting walls on it. He's saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep pushing you through this with relationship and mercy. And that's what this is all about. It's all about mercy. In fact, he says this, and he quotes a verse in your Bible. It might be like bolded or italicized. In verse 7, it says, If you had known what this means, I want mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He's basically saying, my priority will always be the good of others, mercy over formal compliance with ritual regulations. Now, let's go real quick uh, to that story. Jesus is quoting in Hosea, Hosea chapter 6. I'm going to read you part of Hosea in a second. But Hosea is a prophet. God calls him to marry a prostitute. Very wild thing, you know? I don't, like, if I had a teenager when I was a youth pastor, he's like, hey, I think... I think God's calling me to marry a prostitute. I'd be like, ah, I think you should re-pray. Like, <laughs> that doesn't sound right. Like, seriously, would you, I mean, you imagine if, like, your friend's like, yeah, I think, I think she's the one. I'm like, God, I don't know about that. I think a lot of people have said that. Like, like, this is not okay, right? You would seriously question, like, you would question, is God crazy? Am I crazy? And so he does it. And we see this this story that's honestly really beautiful and redemptive at the end, but in the midst of it, you're like, this is crazy. This doesn't make any sense. And so he marries her. Sure enough, she keeps leaving him and cheating on him and continues to prostitute. And then if that isn't bad enough, then he has to keep rebuying her back because there's then of this, like, um, you know, you would almost give yourself to this, like, prostitution community, and then you'd be bought, essentially. So you had to buy them back out of that. So you had to keep spending his own money to get back his own wife, who would then keep leaving him. And it's this pattern over and over and over again. And at some point, you're like, okay, what does the law say? Well, if you're Hosea, you know the law is, I have very fair grounds to divorce this woman, right? Like, seriously. I mean, guys at this time would argue over if they could divorce their wife for, like, burning their soup. And then here, this guy has a prostitute who keeps committing adultery and sexual immorality and all these other things. He has, like, total grounds to divorce her, right? That's what the law says. Okay, that's what the law says, but what does he do? He doesn't do it. Clearly, mercy is triumphing over what the law would have for that. There's, there's, there's the law, but there's a greater root to that law that is mercy. And mercy is far harder than following the law, but the beauty of it is, is far greater. What Jesus is doing is he's not just like saying, well, I can do what I want. I'm going to throw out the law. He's saying, no, no, I, I wrote the law. I know why I wrote it. 
And why, why I'm doing this is because this is the root of the law. And so in Hosea chapter 3, 1, it says this. The Lord said to me, Hosea, he says, Go show love to your wife again, even though she loves another man and continually commits adultery. And then he says this. He says, Likewise, the Lord loves the Israelites, although they turn to other gods and love to offer raisin cakes and foods to idols. God's priority is mercy. And he's, he's using Hosea as this beautiful symbol of the weight of the love that he has for us. Like, if God wrote the laws and he could clearly abandon us, like, he could have done it. I mean, my gosh, we were terrible. Terrible. We did some terrible things. If you've read the Old Testament, you almost can't make up how bad it gets at some point. And God continues to pursue us and to love us, and he gives us his son to finally fulfill the, the weight of this burden that we had that we could not even maintain. And then, so Jesus says, look, I'm Lord of the law and the Sabbath. And the simplest way to put this in his paraphrase in other areas of the Bible is that Sabbath was created for man, not man for Sabbath. The, the restrictions that God has created were not created and then he plopped man in there. Does that make sense? Instead, he created man and he gave us these beautiful guardrails to have full, unadulterated intimacy with him. That's freedom at its finest. And so he's saying, look, these laws are important. Jesus is not throwing out the laws. He fulfills them. But he says, look, like, at the end of the day, like, what do we want to see here? We want to see people in relationship with Jesus and growing into a heart of mercy and compassion, not legalism, and, and just, just being um, archaic about things. And so what he does is then they go, verse 9, it says he left the place. He enters the synagogue. This is their local synagogue. Everyone probably knew Jesus and probably knew the religious uh, leaders because it wasn't a very big town. They go in there. And there was a man who was there with a withered hand. They asked Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They're like, all right, cool. You're what? Well, you say you're Lord of the Sabbath. All right, well, then answer us this question in front of all of these people. Can you do this? So they could accuse him because if he did it or he said yes, they could try to bring charges against him. So they put this little debate in this home court, right? Now, this is just like a 30-second history lesson because it's important. What they're asking actually had been a conversation that was constantly asked by two different communities and um, I'll get to their, their names and all that, but there was really a discussion of, there was only really two ways you could uh, abandon the Sabbath. One was if it was imminent danger of death, okay? So like, that was like one of the ways someone was literally dying you could do something about it on the Sabbath. Or assistance in childbirth was permitted as well. You can't pick when you have a baby. So, so uh, if it could be postponed until the next day. Now, if you had a broken arm, broken leg, whatever, like, you're like, sorry, that's not urgent. Like, we can wait till tomorrow, right? And... So, so what they're doing is they're saying, hey, you, like, he, you should have to wait. Like, he has a withered arm. Like, he's fine. He can, he can be fine, right? They care more about the rules that they have created around the rules that God created for mercy, that they're the most merciless people in that room, right? They care nothing about the man and, and being inhibited and being able to not, like, be able to use his arm. They care more about, like, the rules that which they have created, right? And he says to them, Jesus says to them in verse 11, would not any one of you, if he had one sheep that fell into a pit on the Sabbath, take hold of it and lift it out. He's asking kind of everyone, he's drawing you in. Would you not do that? In fact, this was the argument of the two communities. One was the uh, Cumran community, and they said that you know, no one may help an animal out um, or to give birth on the Sabbath. If it falls into a pit, sorry, you've got to leave it in there on the Sabbath. But then uh, rabbis started to discuss this, and they came to a point where they, they see a different spirit of the rule of work in Sabbath. They say, well, what if... Um, my, what if you could uh, throw something into the hole to allow the animal to climb out? Um, or or what, if you, uh, what if you fed it 
in the hole so that the next day it would still be alive and then you could pull it out. And so the ruling in the heart of this is that it was more about the relief of the animal's suffering and it should override the Sabbath regulation. Think about that. The, the heart of the animal's suffering was more important than the Sabbath regulation. And so they've been discussing this. He's asking a pretty provocative question because they've been arguing about it. I mean, it's like, you know, it's funny what, what they argue about. Like, well, what happens if, it, I guess it happened a lot. I don't know. If you've seen that video of the sheep that's stuck in the crack and they pull it out, I wish I had it, but, and it just like jumps right back into the crack. Apparently, it's more common than you think for animals to get stuck in holes. But, but so what does this all mean? The suffering of humanity is at the forefront of Jesus' mind and heart, right? And, and he's showing us that. In, in verse 12, he says, how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And he says to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretches it out, and it was restored as healthy as the other. Now, what's funny here is I think Jesus is kind of playing with them a little bit. Normally, and all of his healings are not incredibly physical. It's not like he like, punches them and they feel better. He might like, take their hand and hold it, or he might like he's spitting dirt before rubs on their eyes. This one, he doesn't do anything. Like He doesn't work, right? Because the worry was, well, if he heals them, he's probably going to have to do something that would require work on his part. So he just says, hey, put out your hand. Cool, it's good now. And like, I didn't do any work, you know? Like, I think it's kind of a funny like, spite that he's doing because he... He's like, look, I made the rules. Let me decide how I follow them. So we get to the end of this. Like I said, if, if, it, 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 feels, it feels weird because our, our natural inclination is, okay, so then do laws not matter? Does commandments not matter? Do regulations not matter? And some of you are really excited. You're like, wow, I can do so many things now. You know, I could go steal from a bank, and it's okay, right? Now, that's, what, that, that's obviously the far end of the idea. So where do we find ourselves in this past? Where do we reconcile what's happening and at the end of the day, like mercy is the foundation of God's commandments. That there is this beautiful freedom we find in mercy that we will not find in oppression. That the things that we pursue are oppressive. And so I, I want to close with this verse. I'm going to invite the band up as we close here. Colossians 2.16 says this. It says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you with respect to food or drink or in the matter of a feast, new moon, or Sabbath days. These are only a shadow of the things to come, but the reality is Christ. So at the end of the day, what is the reality? What is our foundation? And I'm guilty of this, you know. I think that as a pastor, you can have times where you just want people to just... Just do the work, man. Get out of that pattern of sin. It's killing you and the people around you. And, you know, you can see it clearly, but you often forget that you have your very own things that you're dealing with. And, uh, and that, you know, like we are sheep, right? We make these dumb choices over and over and over again. And our heart should always be led out of mercy. And so I think about this practically. Like if, if you know, you have someone in your life who, uh, let's just say they follow Jesus, they believe in his teachings, they want to follow him, and they have this this trajectory of their life that is very far off and you know it and you see it and you, you, can, you can feel the weight of what it's doing and they're just kind of oblivious or they don't care or pride's getting in the way or whatever, right? you name it. What does it look like in these two different ways of doing it, right? One is you just beat them down with what they're doing wrong, right? Like this is where God says it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong. Now most times a lot of people know it, right? Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they have a different interpretation or whatever, but that's one way, right? You'd say, well, that's, I wouldn't do that. That's not what you should do, whatever, right? The other way is 
talking about the heart of Jesus and why he, why he does these things. Why has he created these things? There's a far difference between don't do that. As a parent, one of the things that I'm um, not super excited for, but is the, the why phase of our daughter, where she asks why for everything, right? She says, why? And then you explain it. And she says, well, why again? You know, like there's like five whys. But at the end of the day, it's actually really informative for me because what it means is I have to have an intent behind what I'm doing. I could say because I said so, because I have authority, I'm dad, right? Jesus kind of, because I said so, I wrote the law. But we have the, the narrative of the Bible showing us why Jesus says because I said so. I said so because I, I know grace and mercy far greater than you will ever understand. And so for us, that person that we're struggling with, can we help them understand why God loves us so much that he's given us these parameters that allow us to experience beauty and intimacy and vulnerability and trust and and a worry-free life in a lot of ways if we lean into trusting what he's doing with freedom and what freedom looks like. The reality is Christ. So I want want to close this just with this question as we we have one more song and we offer um, the bread and cup each Sunday. So... If you're a follower of Jesus, we take this every Sunday as a reminder of what Jesus has done for us. Uh, Praise God that he did what he did and that we don't have to continue to fulfill the ritualistic laws of sacrifice in the Old Testament. And so we do that as a reminder of what he did. And uh, the question that I would want you to ponder if you're just reflecting is, am I prioritizing ritual over relationship? Am I just doing to do, right? I like this one. Uh, Is my heart moving more towards mercy or more towards criticism? Do I have a heart of faithfulness to the Lord and his mercy? So as we take some time, they're going to play for a little bit. You have an opportunity to do that. And then we're going to close in one song. We also have people in the back who would love to pray for you, as we always do. Uh, They would love to do that. And then we'll close. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.